Father, as we turn to your word now, may you glorify yourself by giving us eyes to see the eternal truths in your word. Lord, help us to see the reality of who Jesus is. May this day be a day of rejoicing in Jesus and treasuring of your Son. Father, we are thankful to be here this morning to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you in what you've been doing here in King George. Father, we thank you for bringing a people here, a new body of believers, in the name of Jesus, for Jesus, and it's all because of Jesus. Father, we pray that as we move forward that you will establish your church, that the ministries of Redeemer Church will be based on your word, The Father, whatever we do, whatever we say, who we are as a people will be because you have proclaimed it in your word. Father, we pray for our families. We pray for the marriages here. Lord, we pray that in each marriage the gospel will be seen. That the husband will sacrificially love his wife as Christ loves the church. And the wife will submit to the to the leadership of the husband as the church submits to Christ, Father, and both sacrificially live and love and submit to one another. Father, we pray for our neighbors. Those who know you, we pray that you'll strengthen their faith, that we will be encouragers, that we will um, help them along in their faith. And Father, for our neighbors who don't know you, Father, give us the words. May we be your instruments to reach them, Father, for your glory. Father, there are many lost in King George. Over 16,000 people who don't value worship this morning. Father, may it not be so anymore. Father, bring more into your family. May they see the gospel and may they rejoice and worship. May they turn aside from their sin and may they turn to Jesus. Father, we know what you're doing here at Redeemer. We also know the other churches that you are working in and through here in King George. Father, we pray for specifically Hanover Baptist Church here in King George. Father, as they gather, as they do every Sunday, may you be with Pastor Cruikshank this morning. Father, may you embolden him. May the gospel come forward from his mouth. Father, may his hearers receive the word of God. May you strengthen that body, Father. Lord, for other churches that pastors and preachers will proclaim the the good news of Jesus as it should be rightly preached, Father. Lord, we raise up um, other families and neighbors who we know. Father, here in the room, here, Father, we pray that you will bless us. May your Spirit come and fill us and fill this place, Heavenly Father. Lord, as you work here in King George and all over our state, Father, and through our country, we know that you are a global God. You are at work all over the world. Father, specifically, we pray for the Kumhar people of India. Father, every week it seems like we are raising up a new people group to you and begging, asking, pleading, Father, for you to save them. Over 14 million people who are trapped in a false religion, Father. Break them of that chain. May they hear the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray also for Darren Carlson. 
the president of TLI, who just returned from Greece, Father, I pray that you will be with his family, that the work and the service he did in Greece over the last few months will be fruitful, that our brothers and sisters there in Greece the, doing the refugee ministry, that they will be strengthened and the, the work will be fruitful. And Father, that you will renew his family. Father, it's difficult to go overseas with family and to, and to return. Father, just pray that you will help them to get back into the mode of being back here, Father, and bless them here as well. Father, we also pray for Pastor Bobby Oliveri of Foundation Church of Fredericksburg. Father, a, a church that began last year, we pray that you'll strengthen that body. Lord, they are in need of a new facility. We pray that you will provide a place that is within their budget. And Father, that it will be accessible for more. Father, we pray for Pastor Bobby and his wife Brittany, their two kids, Tinley and Shepherd. Father, may you encourage them and protect them. May the love of Jesus be evident in their family, Father, we pray. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity that we can speak to the Most High. It's only because of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll be preaching from Hebrews chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles and want to turn there. If you need a Bible, we have extra Bibles on the back counter there if anyone needs one. As you turn there, this morning I want to answer one question. Why a church covenant? Why are we having a special ceremony this morning to covenant together before God and others as Redeemer Church? Why take the time to covenant together and build our church and our lives around a church covenant? My aim is that at the end of this, you will embrace the covenant as a loving, protective arrangement where God builds this enduring relationship that's based on His character. It's based on His glory. And our church covenant that we make together this morning is a reflection of that. It is the bedrock of how we will live and minister together as Redeemer Church. The word covenant is an important biblical term. And it's important in our faith and how we live. In our day, we have things that are sort of like a covenant. One example are legal contracts, where two parties agree to an arrangement, and both parties are bound by the terms of the contract. Another is an international treaty, where countries have an agreement to fulfill an obligation. In biblical times, covenants were more common, especially between countries. In some instances, a stronger country would enter into a covenant with a smaller country, a weaker country, and the covenant would be actually imposed by the stronger country, but it was given in a mutual promise. The stronger country would promise to protect and provide security and improved economy. And the smaller country promised obedience and allegiance and loyalty to, to the stronger country. For us, this doesn't really connect. We don't have covenants that much. We don't do covenanting that much, if at all. 
International treaties today are always changing. Contracts aren't always honored or upheld. We need to see that a covenant is more than an arrangement. It's more than a legal contract. Marriage is most likely the best example of what a covenant is. But even that needs explaining. I'm talking about what marriage is supposed to be, where a man and a woman establish a lifelong faithful relationship with one another. The man and woman take an oath together, they say vows, and a bond between them exists unlike any other relationship. This lasting union between a man and a woman is modeled after the idea of a covenant. A covenant, a covenant represents, presents God's desire to enter into relationship with men and women who are created in His image. God said in Genesis, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God established a divine human relationship that's unique. In the Bible, covenants are always between God and His people. Continually in Scripture, we read, I will be your God, and you will be my people. God initiates and connects with His people in relational covenants. There's an arrangement. There's a, a binding a, arrangement and a binding agreement, but it's all for relationship. Ever since the garden, God tells His creation of how He will be towards His people and how He wants His, be, his people to be toward Him. And God does this through covenants. Since the creation of the world, God has related to His people through covenants. So we can say that a biblical covenant defines the relationship between God and His people. It contains specific requirements and promises. It tells how God obligates Himself to His people. And it describes how God and His people will relate to one another. A biblical covenant is an agreement between God and His people, but it's not a mutual agreement. God does not negotiate with His people. A working group is not put together to hash things out. God is not on one side of the table and people are on the other side of the table and they come to terms. God doesn't ask for people's input. Nor can people change the conditions of the covenant. God approaches His people with preconceived boundaries and stipulations. He says how the relationship will be. He defines the terms. They are unchangeable because God is unchangeable. God defines the terms of the relationship and people can either accept them or reject them. God relates with His people through covenants and His people then live within those terms. A covenant then can be defined as this. A divine agreement between God and His people where God defines the conditions of their relationship and God promises to bless His people and they in return are to worship and to love Him. 
Now, most of us know that the Bible is organized into two testaments. The word testament comes from the same word as covenant. We could say that the Bible essentially has two covenants. We call them testaments in Old and New Testament. In our text this morning, we will see, though, that there is remarkable unity in Scripture. There's a good reason why we who live in the New Testament church age have both the Old Testament and the New Testament in our Bible. Covenants are in both Testaments. The concept of covenant is central to the Bible. There's two Testaments, but together they tell one glorious story told through covenants. Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam, authors of Kingdom Through Covenant, describe covenants as, quote, the central framework that hold the story of the Bible together, end of quote. The plot, the story of the Bible, beginning with creation and ending with Christ, is unfolded for us through God making covenants with his people. Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam call this the progress or the unfolding of God's plan and redemptive history. Multiple covenants develop the story of the Bible, revealing more of God's plan with each covenant getting closer to Christ. This amazing unity in God's plan of redemption is revealed through biblical covenant and tells us more about the glory of God that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Before we read our passage of Hebrews, we need to not only understand the concept of covenant, but also that the Bible has six major covenants. The first five covenants are enacted in the Old Testament And the last one is promised in the Old Testament and is fulfilled in the New Testament. And that one ultimately fulfills all the covenants made by God. The promises of the Old Testament have become a reality in Jesus Christ. From creation where the divine human relationship was established and the fall of man and the promise of redemption was given to Noah and the promise to not flood the earth again to Abraham and his family being a blessing to all people, to Moses and the covenant God made with Israel where they would be a light to the world, showing who God is and how we are to relate to him, to the Davidic covenant where God promises an eternal king for his people that will reign forever and ever, to the new covenant that's promised in Jeremiah 31. All of this ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The entire New Testament gives us the relationship terms, then, that God has set between himself and his people through faith in Jesus Christ. With that understanding of covenant, seeing its central role in God's redemptive story beginning in the Old Testament and brought into the New Testament and fully realized in Christ, let's now turn to Hebrews chapter 8 and then see why a church covenant is needed. It says, now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices 
Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me. From the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever, Isaiah says. This passage in Hebrews comes from God to us and will stand forever. Our days on earth are like grass, but the word of our God stands forever. May we see the eternal truths of God's Word this morning. The book of Hebrews is full and rich with Old Testament imagery. It uses a lot of terms given in the Old Testament, like the Levitical priesthood, the office of the high priest, the tent of the Lord, the offering of gifts and sacrifices. It then takes these terms and applies them all to Christ. Hebrews helps us to see the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament and ties them together, binds them all up in Christ. Hebrews helps us put the covenants together and see that the different covenants have a common thread of God engaging His people for the purpose of revealing His Son. Hebrews is like a door into the Israelite camp seeing the Israelites live out the covenant, but understanding it from God's perspective. In chapter 8, verse 5, the Hebrew writer says that while there was an immediate context to the Old Testament, the things and events in it ultimately point forward to the fulfillment of God's plan. The earthly anticipated the heavenly. The earthly reflects the heavenly. It says they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. While Moses and the Israelites lived out their lives according to the covenant God made with them, their covenant provide us something bigger than just history. They are pointers. They are descriptors of something else. The old covenant prepared the way for the new covenant. Verse 6 tells us that the old covenant had a time limit. 
the verse begins with, as it is. And we can say, as it is now. Or maybe your translation says, but now, the ministry of Jesus. Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent, it is more superior to the old. The Old Testament prophesied, actually, that the new covenant would come from God and it would come with it the full and final forgiveness of sins. That would become an actual reality in the new covenant. We're told of a first and then a second covenant, or an old and then a new covenant. Christ is the mediator of this new covenant. Moses was the mediator of the old one. And this new covenant is based on better promises, Scripture says. Christ is described as the high priest of a better covenant. He's the true tent that the Lord has set up. The first covenant, or the old covenant, is the Mosaic covenant, or known as the Sinai covenant. The relationship God established on Mount Sinai in Exodus with Moses, where God tells him that the Israelites will be his people. In Exodus 19, verse 5, God says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Then for the next few chapters in Exodus, Moses is continually going up and down the mountain, showing that a mediator is needed between God and his people. There's distance between God and his people. Someone is needed to connect the holy God and his people. In Exodus, God describes how the Israelites are to live. They are to be a holy nation, God says. He gives them the Ten Commandments to live by. And God promises a kingdom for them to dwell in. The lives the Israelites were to live were lived with a purpose to point to the glory of God. They were to reflect His character to the nations. God's people are reflectors. We're like mirrors in the sun where the sun rays reflect and shine out towards others. Where the glory of God, the brightness of His glory shines off of us and into others. Then in Exodus 24, this covenant God made with the Israelites, the covenant that God made with the Israelites is then sealed with a sign. Please turn with me to Exodus 24, beginning in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. He then took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. God is an unchanging 
God. God established His redemptive plan before the creation of the world. He's a covenant-keeping God. Whatever God promises, He is faithful and steadfast, unwavering in His commitment. And the Hebrew writer tells us that Christ has obtained something far better for God's people than what was spoken of in the book of Exodus. God never intended for the Mosaic Covenant to be permanent. The prophecy of the New Covenant was given long before Christ came to earth. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 tells us that if the first covenant had not been faultless, there would have been no reason for a second, a new covenant. At this point, let's not confuse the old covenant as law and the new covenant only as grace. Some people see the Ten Commandments and they think only of the law. But remember, God is an unchanging God. When God established the first covenant on Mount Sinai, He said this in Exodus 19, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. It's as if God in His mercy came down and swooped up the Israelites and carried them to Mount Sinai. He protected them and guided them the whole way. God established the first covenant on grace. The Israelites did nothing but complain and grumble. God in His mercy protected His people. He saved them from the Egyptians. He provided manna in the desert and brought them to Himself. This was so the Israelites would trust in God and thank Him for who He is and what He's done. God did this to fulfill His covenant relationship with them. The Israelites were God's personal treasure. They were to be a kingdom of priests that worship Him. They were to be a holy nation in the manner of their lives. So what's wrong then with the first covenant? Why the need for a second or a new covenant? Now we know that Israelites continually disobeyed God. Time after time in the Old Testament, the Israelites turned from God, were judged, they were brought back to Him, and then they would disobey, and the cycle would continue over and over. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, God says that God finds fault with them. The people could not keep the covenant. But, if this was the only issue, couldn't God just have given them a new willingness to follow the covenant? Couldn't He have motivated them and given them a means to obey the covenant? In His mercy, couldn't He have simply given them what they needed to live this out and stop the cycle? He could, but He didn't. Instead, God promised a new covenant in the book of Jeremiah. The Hebrews writer refers to Jeremiah 31 and quotes it in verses 8 through 13. The promised covenant is described in six ways for us. First, God is the one who establishes the covenant. Second, this new covenant is unlike the old covenant where God's people could not keep it. Third, this new covenant is one where God puts his law into their minds and he writes it on their hearts. Fourth, He will be their God and they will be His people. 
all of His people will know Him. And the last one, God will be merciful to their iniquities and He will remember their sin no more. The new covenant sees the condition of man and provides a solution to the stubbornness, to the hard-heartedness of God's people. The cycle of disobedience and waywardness is broken because in the new covenant, people have a better mediator that enables the people to be inwardly transformed. In the new covenant, the people will be faithful and loyal to God and they will keep His covenant. The people will be instructed in God's holiness and will have Him as the center of their lives. He will write His holiness in their hearts where a person reasons, feels, where they make decisions, where they make plans for their day and their lives, God will be the aspiration and the joy of their life. In the new covenant that God initiates, a new community is formed. They will no longer have to teach each other to know the Lord. They all will know the Lord. They will all believe in Him. This is a community of believers who know God and who trust Him. This new community is one that has Christ as the mediator. He's the high priest who intercedes on our behalf. He's the one who enables God's law, His holiness, to be written on hearts. He's the one who has shed His blood that provides covering and who purifies our sin. It was Jesus who died on the cross that takes away our sin, which established a new life for His people. God then enables them to see their sin and be appalled and repelled by their own sin and turn to Him for forgiveness and have relationship where they are satisfied and they're filled by Jesus Christ. The Old Covenant had grace and forgiveness of sin, but it could not change the people. It was flawed, not in God's requirements, or in how he defined the relationship, but it was flawed in the people's inability to keep the covenant, to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and thus not being God's treasured people. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the the old covenant was weakened by the sinful nature, meaning there was no internal power to live out the covenant. The people's hearts were too corrupt and sinful. New hearts are needed. Grace is needed to be extended into the very nature of a person and transform them so that they can keep God's covenant. And this pointed to the cross of our Lord. The new covenant was found on better promises because it promised transformation for the people. In the new covenant, God's people are able to live out their lives in holiness and be lights to the world. They are in relationship with God, not just by vicinity, not just a nearness with God. God's not just in the camp with them. The relationship rests internally now with God. And God's people have been given knowledge of Him. We know the true God. We get to know Him personally and completely and worship Him and learn more about Him for all eternity. All of this is possible Because of Jesus Christ. God said that the penalty for breaking His covenant is death. And blood sacrifice is needed to renew the covenant. 
But now there's no need for a continual sacrifice because Jesus paid the penalty for sin for all of His people. He was the perfect blood sacrifice that enables this new life to occur. This new life is built on a covenantal promise from God and it's established in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's God's sovereign act of grace and mercy that provides the means for His people to be in relationship with Him forever and ever through faith in Jesus Christ. The first covenant was not meant to go on forever. It pointed to the new covenant in Jesus Christ where Jesus mediates for His people. And God's people now live out in the new covenant together as one people. We are committed to God and to each other. The new covenant gives us structure to our lives and to be lived together in the church. In this new covenant, God promises eternal life in Jesus. He promises to keep us and transform us into His likeness so that we can be with Him and worship Him forever. He enables His people to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And He expects us to live holy lives that glorify Him, that blesses the nations with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A church covenant is recognition of this right and privilege given to God's people. A church covenant says that we have been brought together by Almighty God in the new covenant for the sake of His name and with the help and the guidance of His Holy Spirit, we then live out in a manner that honors Him and glorifies Him. It's a promise made to God before others, to each other and to ourselves. It says how we agree to live together for God's glory. We will live how God says to live. Our statement of faith tells us what we believe. Our church covenant tells us how we are to live. How God would have us live in the new covenant. So that's what we're doing here this morning. We are pledging ourselves in a covenant to live together in the new covenant as a church body for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because of the new covenant, we are able to now covenant together and become a church for Jesus Christ. We are telling each other, we're telling others, that we will live in accordance with God's word. Because he has established this covenant relationship with us for his glory. We're saying Christ has redeemed us, given us life in his name. And we now say that we will live in this new covenant together for Christ. A group of us who are here this morning have been committing ourselves to become Redeemer Church. We've confessed that only Jesus can save us from our sin. We've been baptized into the faith, and we have prayed and have been led here by God's grace to covenant together. Those of us who are willing to come together in a covenant relationship as a new church body, I ask you to please stand with me now. And together we will read the church covenant together in, in front of witnesses this morning. Got it?
I'll just say it together. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God, to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord, Savior, and supreme treasure of our lives, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one in Christ. Based on this covenant, I and the other members each pledge to love one another and walk together in Christian love, strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and peace, promote its spirituality and fruitfulness, sustain its worship in ordinances, and forsake not the assembly of the body, welcome and test biblically instruction from the scriptures by the elders of the church, pray for, care for, and comfort one another, humble ourselves and serve one another, contribute to needs, bear burdens, and share with one another, Rejoice and suffer with one another. Teach, encourage, and admonish one another. Submit to one another and to the discipline of this church. Confess our sins to one another when appropriate and to give one another. Preserve unity and peace among ourselves. Live in a holy manner worthy of the name of Christ. Pray, live, serve, and witness in such a way as to seek to make all people disciples of Jesus. Maintain family and personal devotions. Educate our children in the Christian faith. Exercise our spiritual gifts as we are taught and equipped for works of service. Give cheerfully to support the ministry of this church and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through all nations. Moreover, engage that when we remove from this place, we will, if possible, unite with a like-minded church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant. I enter into this covenant with my fellow church members Acknowledging that I am dependent on the grace of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to fulfill my portion of it. Amen. If y'all like to come and sign. Comments and sign the covenant.